Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 10 of the Turning Signals podcast. Zoe's triumphant return. Woo. Welcome back, Zoe. Well, that sounded a bit, <laughs> a bit sicker than I intended. Um, yeah, thanks. I am here with brain fog. Okay. And a sniffle still, sorry. Not the ideal recording conditions, probably. Oh, well, we appreciate your your effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit worried about, you know, not generating the content, obviously. Yes, I apologise for... Getting sick. Yeah. Well, if we didn't get sick sometimes, we'd be sick all the time. I agree. I think being sick is part of being healthy. Mm. I really do believe that. Yeah. Um, and if you listen to Zach Bush, he talks about viruses being um, the what what yeah the way and means through which our species evolves. Upgrades. Yes, which is a pretty interesting perspective. I can't really say much more than that about it, but um, yeah, I think it's interesting. He also talks about it as being um part of the natural uh, compensation of like nature that viruses are getting stronger mm-hmm. and weirder. Right. Which I, in my experience, I mean, you know, I tested positive for a virus that doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, I, I have had something and I have had, it has been a weird little bug. An evolved coronavirus, like a novel coronavirus. Yeah, I guess that's what we've been dealing with all along, hey? Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's the brain fog thing is really interesting because I didn't really anticipate that and I've never really felt so foggy before. So, yeah, hmm. it's interesting to experience and reflect on. Hmm. Yes. Good. So, um... What have you been up to in your your downtime? Have you had a chance to do some reading, writing? Uh, not very much, but I am aware that um, the mandates were called to their end in Western Australia yesterday. Yeah, as of the 10th of June, I think. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, so that's worth noting. I don't really know if it's ne- necessarily cause for celebration as such. Um, it's not as though it undoes the harm that's been done. Mm. So I think that's important to recognise that um, many people remain out of work um, as a result of the mandates and also many people have been compliant with the mandates and suffered for that. Mm. Um, whether that's, you know, serious adverse events or more kind of subtle stuff. Or psychological. Yes. Um, And I also feel like, you know, looking to the sort of future astrologically, I feel like they'll probably be back. And now that that precedent's been set, it's very easy to kind of reinstate yeah, well, that kind of hard line stuff again. Yeah, as some critics have said all along, like once that infrastructure's in place, 
you know, it's it's just a switch to turn yeah. it on or off. Yeah. And you were also speaking in your solo episode, which I very much enjoyed, um, about the bringing together like the MyGov pass and the, you know, digital yeah. passports and digital ID. Yeah, the expansion of that. I mean, that's absolutely like the world government's agenda, yeah. of which I think this new government seeks to be a part of that. Yes. Which is absolutely not, you know, at surface level discussion mm. just yet. But, yeah, the language is absolutely there. You don't have to read too yes. far between the lines to see that this government kind of stands for globalism, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I mean, I, at this time, I think, you know, I've just this morning been looking at Anthony Albanese's, like, announcing of the cabinet and, you know, his kind of speeches that he's given. Mm. And you, you really could, I mean... You really could, and it would be nice to feel a sense of optimism mm. about this very progressive new government who appear very genuine and, ha- you know, they talk about all these great things they're going to do. Mm. They're quite woke. Um, you know, something that we are concerned with is Julian Assange. Like, you know, Albo's going to act on that very mm. soon. That will happen. And then, you know... You back that up with uh, Western Australia, for example, dropping their workplace like jab requirements. Mm. Um, mate, the sun has come out. Yeah. Know, there's so much to look forward to. Sure. And again, you know, nothing could possibly go wrong. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's time to be vigilant. Remain vigilant. Yes, indeed. And I think you really spoke to both the or the range of possibilities um, that we're looking at in your last episode. And I think, yeah, we do need to remain vigilant and um, and not lose hope as well. That Because like I always say, I feel like I always say it, I don't even know if I've said it on air before, but they can't account for mystery. Mm-hmm. They actually can't. So although they might feel like they've got this all sewn up, in the bag by they I mean I guess I mean you know the Davos elites who've just finished their week in Switzerland did you look at any of that uh little bits um it was pretty I actually kind of got the sense that it was um it's kind of embarrassing isn't it like that they feel I mean they're in a bubble Mm. they're in their own bubble and um they might imagine that they've kind of you know like I was saying got it all sewn up and it's all figured out and they've just got to kind of implement it but then there are things happening like Botswana led the charge in you know against the World Health Assembly's pandemic treaty right you know they're not accounting for human nature or nature at all Reality, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, so I agree. I think that that's like, that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of laughs too because mm. it's like, <laughs> oh, good luck to you all, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So they're, they're in an echo chamber as are we all. And, I mean, that reminds me as well of like it became really apparent to me that oh, how much of an echo chamber I'd been in as the election results sort of came through Mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, because 
you know, you read the things that affirm your own worldview and listen to things that do that. And um, so I am no different to that. I read things that interest me and those things are, you know, kind of anti-establishment. So when it was such a kind of two-horse race in the election, essentially, in the end, it was a bit of a an awakening, I guess, of that. But there were good – there was some – good news out Mm. of it as you highlighted well Um, i'm not sure if i actually made much of a point in that recording i guess my point was that you know within the the seats who represent privileged mm -hmm. citizens there's been a shift yeah absolutely you know and i guess that's like a there's a new generation so you've Mm. got the kind of um, that upper middle class, you know, they're all like 40 now and, you know, they've been like they're our age, right? Mm. And so they're more inclined towards like progressive ideas. Absolutely like, you know, inclusivity, whatever that means, Mm. was like an absolute, like a very constant theme Mm. in those like candidates who were elected, those teal independents. Yeah. and I think also like a really interesting trend was that down in like Western Sydney, yeah. you know, voting that woman in there who like absolutely was like staunch working mm-hmm. class represent. Um, and I, it's been a two horse race there for as long as there's been a seat. Yeah. Um, and probably swinging more towards conservatism. Mm. And they've kind of just thrown that. Out. So there is like some developments. Yeah. That uh, Z Media, what's her name? Maria. Maria Z. <coughs> she's like going on this. Um, have you seen? She's no. well now. Her thing is like she's investigating the um, election fraud. Right. So she's convinced that there's been a lot of fraud, mm. and she's got yeah, a few. Well, I have heard that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess if you you want to fight for freedom, like you've got to pick a battle. And that's mm. probably a reasonable one to go. Yeah, I don't know. She's obviously building like a her own little empire there. Yeah. So she needs to, you know, it needs to be like planned and structured. She needs to have like battles. Mm. So I hope that she does turn up like election fraud mm. and that she exposes it. And But yeah, as far as I'm concerned... You know, I, I'm. I think what we saw with the teal independence is like it's kind of significant. Shows a tone. There's like a shift. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm personally not sure if that shift is in the right direction. Mm. It's you know people are so happy to have token action on you know climate change, making electric cars cheaper. Mm. Okay, cool. So rather than you know a hundred thousand dollar Tesla. It's a seventy thousand dollar Tesla. Mm. Well, that's that's great. Um, no, as I mentioned, no mention of deforestation. Yeah. Anywhere. Um, so I think the it's token. People aren't necessarily inclined to be more thoughtful about politics. Yeah. They're actually just want to kind of be woke. So whatever. I, my main point, I suppose, is that um, no one's coming to save us. Mm. Like we have to maintain. If you want to fight, if you want to keep 
fighting for freedom or whatever you want to do well it's up to you yeah whereas and i I personally like i'm cool i got my own life to focus on to be honest like yeah yeah i think that you know that fight goes on on the ground of our lives and um in all the small ways i don't know if you necessarily have to be joining or you know running as an independent or joining any particular party or doing anything um that may you know involved with politics as such um but certainly to just live with integrity you know um i don't know if that demands that we get involved in rallies and movements necessarily but just to live in alignment with our own ethics and conscience yeah i um i had a chat with uh my friend paul he came in and we recorded for about three hours and absolutely like his point at the end of the day is you know if i say something like oh there's tyranny afoot he'll be like what tyranny you know as much as he is absolutely aware of like the forces that seek to enact tyranny Mm. he would say like where is it in your life like and a point that he made like something that we looked at and what we recorded was like definitions around certain words such as mandate etc yeah that episode will be up on patreon great but like he his point is that if you don't agree to it if you don't enter into it like then that's all that's fine that Mm. is and he was really struggling that time when um, during that time that protests were getting really heated and things. And, you know, a point he made was like, why would you, like you're entering into mandates by, you know, masking or whatever, mm. social distancing, and then you're protesting them. Mm. Like, it, so, yeah, it's, I think the, as you say, like the, the battle is on the ground where you stand Mm. like that's I think that 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 can be so useful for everybody concerned I would like to think so I mean yeah I guess my and I think Paul and I have this in common I haven't met him yet but um in terms of like the Jungian ideas of um an inner life Mm -hmm. that is that has meaning our inner lives do have meaning and have a bearing on the macrocosm, mm. which I understand the criticisms of Jungian kinds of ideas being that, you know, that's a very kind of first world kind of preoccupation, mm-hmm. I guess, to be concerned with one's inner life, which you can't really do if you don't have you know, a job to put food on your family's table or things like that. Um, And I think that by the nature of the last couple of years and things like mandates that have forced our hands in a particular way where we've had to make a choice, we either comply or we don't, essentially is what it comes down to in that instance, is it brings those two issues together you know like your inner life your sense of integrity and what you feel to be right is being contested by what you're being told to do and your capacity to earn a living Mm. um so uh, to me that 
has been a very rich kind of coming together of the inner and the outer life and it and that's why I say things like it's been the making of me which I do believe that it has been and I feel like a lot of people have had that experience um, especially perhaps among the resistance Mm. um, and the freedom communities and whatever because people have felt that they could not ignore their conscience and so that has meant for them essentially like a before after situation where Mm -hmm. they kind of woke up and they went no I can't live this way and I have to live in a different way and that you know causes you know various conflicts in their own lives and it's very real it's Mm. very um, pragmatic and very you know black and white in a lot of ways so um, yeah I think that that's been quite a common occurrence for a lot of people who I've spoken to and you know hear about read about listen to um that's my little echo chamber but for also a lot of people who have complied and sort of with the thinking that they want to get back to normal Mm. that is a thing too because they also may feel conflicted about having been required to comply in order to get back to normal. Mm. And so that as well brings this, you know, coming together of like inner life, outer life situations. And how do you reconcile compliance with your more rebellious persona or whatever? Yeah. Um, So I I just think that it brings up a lot of those kinds of Jungian ideas into the real world and, Mm. and how that it actually it does matter what your inner experience of conscience is. Um, Conscience, just as one example, but it's quite a good example, quite a pertinent one. Mm, Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, everybody can take something away from the last couple of years. Um, Yeah, well, I would like to think so. Even, you know, the issue of mortality and, and, you know, mortality and morality those two things side by side I feel like have been very important to reflect upon and if people don't want to look at life that way you know because I tend to being a kind of Jungian leaning person look at things archetypally look at things in terms of themes to me that provides such a rich place to exist and you know so I know it's not for everyone to look at life that way but yeah to me and astrology is very supportive of looking at life in those kind of archetypal more karmic kind of yeah and that like Jung also talked about telos you know that life has a purpose and it's leading us somewhere Mm. Yeah, astrology really reinforces that or supports that idea, doesn't it? Yeah, and but essentially it is still mysterious. Like we don't really know where we're being led, although we can sort of have a sense of it. And I guess that's where astrology readings and using astrology can um, – it's often for people a very affirming kind of a thing to have your chart read because it's yeah. sort of things that you know about yourself you have put into words by someone who doesn't even know you. Mm. That can be a very kind of empowering and emboldening experience, hopefully. Mm. So, yeah, we've gone a bit further afield than mandates, but I guess, yeah. 
Do you want to talk about Johnny and Amber Turd? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, well, it's, it's over, really, isn't it? resolved to some extent, yeah. A lot of people, I mean, there's been heaps of commentary on that. Um, a lot of people have really enjoyed watching. And I kind of feel like I, I didn't really watch any. I just kind of saw highlights here and there. But yes, very good quality entertainment. But now we will obviously need something else. <laughs> yes, I wonder what that thing will be. I look forward to seeing what will take its place. Um, we might have to go back to the war. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, just this morning, having a quick look at my substack, I was reminded of a term that Paul mentioned in our conversation. He calls it, I think he called it intellectual self-defense um, because... Newsweek published a story. The headline was about Russian soldiers raping an 11-year-old boy in front of his mum. Oh, my God. But then it was found super quickly, like it was debunked. Like, it, right. you know, there was no evidence to support it. Um, and I, I feel like if you see that headline, even like if I see that headline, I'm like, oh, that is, that's the worst thing, you know. That shit is horrible. But then... Like, my mind goes very quickly, like, oh, well, that they would say that, wouldn't they? Newsweek, like, they're, they're, it's a biased media, mm. absolutely, saying that kind of shit to make people hate Russia and mm. think about the atrocities of war and mm. all that stuff. And it's like, it's, it's like if you didn't, if you were inclined to not believe such a headline, such a story, it takes on a different kind of tone. Mm. And it's the same with... Um, you know, the the school shooting in Uvalde. You know, there's so many questions around that. And people like sure. the questions are like, like, why did the police wait 70 minutes before going in? Things like that. It's like, mm. well, because it didn't happen. Right. You know, there, w- there was no perpetrator. That's a fictionalized character. Right. There were no victims. Okay. Because there's no, there's actually no proof. Right. And there were no, so, and I, I would say that with, um, I know that sounds crazy, mm. but I would say that with like 70% assurity. Right. I'm like 70% sure that, that that did not take place. No children were killed. Mm. There was no. And that's why you have all these questions. Mm. And to support that, I would say, show me an article, like pick any article about the reporting of Uvalde mm. and read it as though you don't believe it. Read mm. it as though you've never come across this occurrence. Mm. And see if the article actually convinces you. Mm. Mate, I, when I was talking with Paul about this stuff, I was looking through articles, Washington Post, mm. saying, like, direct quote, the sheriff reported that an eyewitness reported seeing this. That's the Washington Post. Mm. So you're having a journalist report that the sheriff reported that an eyewitness reported that they witnessed something. Mm. The actual footage, no actual footage, no footage of that happening whatsoever. Mm. The footage is of these people gathering to light candles and hold up photos of their dead children. Is that what you do when your child gets shot to death? Uh, 12 hours later, you're down the school with a photo of them, are you? Is that what you do? Is that what you would do? I have no idea what I would do. You, but you wouldn't be making no, public appearances, no. talking to CNN journalists, mm. 
in a state that was quite relaxed? Mm-hmm. Would you? It just, I mean, maybe you would. And maybe I don't know anything. I don't know how it is to have your <laughs> child murdered at school. Maybe Let's you wanted your child you. murdered at school. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you're all for gun control and it's just part of the greater good, the sacrifice. Mm. To me, it just, it's absolutely, it absolutely continues the psyop on like hurting people and in like psychologically. Mm. It's about trauma. Mm. And of course, it serves the. I don't want to get into that, but the gun control thing. Mm. Um, Paul and I talk about that at length. Right. In Gun it, control. Yeah, it will be a paid episode because it's not for everyone, mm. that conversation. Yeah. But my point is the <laughs> rant over. But, it, you know, this kind of stuff, this headline, the war, these things, it's like you don't, you don't know. Mm. No one knows. I don't no, know. That's but it's true. important to... Think like just don't don't see this stuff and feel traumatized because it's like we'll question why you feel traumatized. Do you want to believe those kind of headlines? Yeah. Do you want to believe that Russian soldiers are raping children? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, of course that's happened in the history of, of the course, world. Yeah. But I I don't think this is that kind of war. And if like those media institutions are absolutely Disinformation is what they specialize in. Mm. Yeah. Well, it does. I mean, I was thinking it sort of ties into my reflections on the election and how things like these terrible kinds of atrocities going on in the world, which, as you said, have and do happen on occasion, but allowing ourselves to get overly consumed by drama and tragedy and, you know, the tragic comedy of life Mm. as we know it and as kind of propagandised by mainstream media, um, yeah, it's worth taking a step back from that, absolutely. I was reading, I am reading the second volume of two books by Alfred Ribby, who is a Jungian Jungian analyst and he has taken it upon himself to explore Jung's library of Gnostic texts and all the, you know, notebooks and whatever that he's he compiled in his life oh, wow. um around Gnosticism. And he writes in that about agnosia, which is basically like unconsciousness, and how that is for the Gnostics basically the cardinal sin. And I've got a quote here, to devote oneself to the material world, to its pleasures and desires, and to be constantly spellbound, fascinated, and disappointed by them. These images have lost none of their authority in our materialistic times. He correlates agnosia to drunkenness of passion, which is referred to in the Nag Hammadi texts, which are the Gnostic texts that were discovered in the the 1940s yeah and so drunkenness was associated with disorder and symbolized ignorance and enslavement it numbs the body and makes the soul inattentive so it just for me ties into what you're saying about like this kind of shock and awe tactics of the mainstream media Mm. and how it's just like whether it's johnny and amber or it's like russian soldiers raping children or children being murdered in a in cold blood in a school shooting, mm. yet another one. Um, 
it's like this constant kind of source of dad calls it titty-tainment. Yeah, you know, right. That, like ongoingly just one thing fear to the next. Yes, fear porn. Or is a good porn. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. But it's just, and, you know, for the Gnostics, that kind of agnosia, that unconsciousness where we just live in that world of being like riding these waves of up and down and like the horrors of, you know, of modern life, you know, that can take a lot out of us and it can be a serious waste of energy and time and why would we bother going there Mm. um and it's a really good question and i think it's a it's a very important question which also came up in our war episode didn't it because you know in the end you said rightly that none of it actually matters and you know it comes back to that taurus north node which we've come out of eclipse season now and you know, but that North Node remains there for another year or so. You know, focusing on that Taurian groundedness of being the peaceful place within us mm-hmm. rather than being at the mercy of external events, mm. which we know are just like, it goes from bad to worse. It's like <laughs> one minute it's COVID, then it's the war, then it's, you know, I've already listed it. So it's, it's awful and it's very, very draining and very distracting. Um, and it that as well ties back into the Mercury retrograde, which finishes tomorrow. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know if you want to say anything else about any of... Oh, well, I just did a search of Gnosticism. Oh, yeah. The definition that Google actually brings up mm-hmm. at the top is uh, Gnosticism is the belief that human beings contain a piece of God within themselves which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans. All physical matter is subject to decay, rotting and death. <laughs> That's a mm. strange kind of way to finish that. Well, um, yep, that is my understanding basically of it. It's, it's also um, counter to the more, you know, like the church who do not believe that, you know, yes. in contrast. It says people also ask, how does Gnosticism differ from Christianity? Gnostics were dualists and worshipped two or more gods. Christians were monists and worshipped one god. Gnostics focused on eradication of ignorance. Christian concern was the eradication of sin. Interesting. It is really interesting and it really, I mean, to me, you know, while there are plenty of valid criticisms of like the Jungian way of looking at the world, um, I do believe that it does fundamentally life comes down to this kind of bringing together of opposites um, which Jung worked on his entire life and produced reams of you know book after book after book kind of explicating that battle and it is essentially like um, I don't think sin can actually be eradicated and nor do I believe evil can be eradicated Mm. but many very impressive to my mind thinkers have talked and written and explored how the what Jung called the tension of the opposites you know and Heraclitus called it you know this um these warring opposites love and strife Mm -hmm. we actually need both Mm. and that both are central to the human condition Mm. and to life as it exists and so the Gnostics viewing 
the material realm as being that kind of evil side of things, you know, like the fallen spirit. I don't necessarily get into all of that kind of thinking, but it is interesting because they were looking at it from similar to the alchemists, which was something else that Jung was fascinated by was alchemy in the material realm, the correlates to the psychological realm, which was what Jung was interested in transposition of alchemical ideas into psychology, Mm. um, which is, you know, rich kind of terrain to be working in. And um, yeah, it's, it's not as kind of navel gazy as people might think it is Mm. I think because it comes down to these like really and increasingly I would say like thanks to COVID it has become this like real world concern stuff Mm -hmm. where it's not just these abstract like for us thankfully abstract or even fictional ideas of school shootings Um, it's come into our lives in a way that can't be ignored Mm And I mean, like in a very broad sense, like good versus evil, for example. But it's really just this, it's not about labelling some external evil in Mark McGowan or, you know, Klaus Schwab or anyone else. It's like we must increasingly come to terms with the tension within ourselves and the inner conflict that exists inside of each of us that is like good versus evil because we all have and as we talked about in the last episode we recorded together you know that self-destructive versus self-preservation kind of a thing Mm -hmm. you know there are impulses within us that are destructive and coming to terms with that as a psychological reality is very beneficial rather than just like constantly externalizing it and scapegoating some somebody else, you know, projecting things to be carried by others. It's very empowering to come to terms with <clears throat> both our dark and our light. Indeed. I've um I've recently discovered dopamine. Oh, great. <laughs> Do you know anything about dopamine? <laughs> well, no, I remember learning about it in the 90s when learning about ecstasy and um as a as a drug and you know other types of psychoactive substances and their involvement with dopamine serotonin Mm. in the so go on tell us oh i actually i I couldn't really say that i know much um but i mean dopamine it exists um it is promoted, like dopamine production is promoted by like hunting, for example. Like, so at a biological level, that's yep. why it exists in the brain to get you to go out and hunt. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of that actually. And then like if after you experience a dopamine like high, it the base level like drops down. So you'll always experience like a, a down period before it kind of comes back to base level Mm. um and in like researching dopamine i've you know i sound and i guess not a lot has sunk in but there's a lot to take in and Mm. i've kind of looked at quite a lot but it um it reminds me of how like chemistry molecules things that occur in you know at biological level like they do have intelligence Mm. like there's a like design human design and and the design of like 
human chemistry, biological stuff. Like it, it, it is all so perfectly designed to like serve function mm. and, and like it's action and consequence. It's dark and light. It's equal opposite. Mm. Shit's crazy. Mm. It's and it, you find that shit everywhere. But I, I mean, I I had an experience of um actually just after the election, like I came up to your place and you know spent the night and for like the next day or so, I was um you know I had some nice experiences and like I felt really good mm. and I felt so good that like I could see my life really clearly objectively Mm. i could plan things out you know problems that i might have such as i mean you really encourage me to you know pursue theater for example Mm. and you know you've said like well you just gotta have to put your own your own play on if there's not a play on you're gonna have to put your own play on Mm. and even like thinking about that you know i was like oh i'll just put on my own play i'll just pick one and cast it and direct it and get some people who you know believe in the project and i'll just make it happen yeah and that kind of so that that kind of confidence and like problem solving and objectivity it all you know i was like what what has happened here and i kind of looked into it and it was like oh this is dopamine right and then it's like okay we'll prepare for dopamine to like go away Mm -hmm. and to feel like all of those solutions that you just had <laughs> evaporated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then I've looked into like how to how to boost your base rate of dopamine, right. and it's interesting because um, you can do that, I'm and sure, yeah. the way is through cold water exposure. Oh right, cold exposure. Gotcha. And Wing you know, off. diet and exercise, yep. high protein diet, lots of like vigorous exercise. Mm-hmm. That's that's you know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. There's supplements you can take to boost your dopamine Mm -hmm. but the thing is as like essentially scientists say and people who know about this stuff is that there is there is no Mm. it's not going to save you no well i think that you can boost it mm. but you're going to come down you're just going to yes and that's what i'm talking about that's why i mention it yeah like it's it's it is of practical application to come to terms with dark and light yes in a non-conceptual way but a real way yes that actually when you reduce it to these biological concerns of dopamine and serotonin and the balance of you know within cells within our tiniest you know components of our being it actually has relevance (laughs) and so it is worth you know investigating that in whatever way floats your particular boat whether you know for me it's Jung and astrology and things like that but for you it will be something else but just allowing ourselves to consider what is fundamental to the human condition which is this in whatever way you conceptualize it light and dark Mm. And coming to terms with the reality that, yes, there is dark and without it, we have no light. So, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and there is dopamine and without it, <laughs> we have no <laughs> respite from the dreary <clears throat> despair that is the human condition as well. <laughs> so, we need it all, really. Yeah. But, um, yes, it is very interesting and I love the um, cold exposure thing and I... 
I went swimming in the ocean a couple of times. Oh, good. I was going to say, you're right here, Liam. You can just dive in that ocean right there every day. And It's full of seaweed now. Yeah, I know. It is a bit tricky at this time of year. Mm. But, um, no, I'm, I'm resolved to... Even cold showers, myself. that's what well, I do. yeah. That, that, the water out of the tap is colder than the ocean. Like, yeah, so that, right. That's going to do yeah. it, you know? Yeah. It's obviously, it's not going to invigorate you like diving in the ocean. No, or but an ice bath. At a chemical level, it's going to work yes. for sure. Yeah. And it's well worth exploring that kind of stuff and experimenting and mm. coming to terms in whatever ways feel interesting and like engaging for us personally. Because mm. it's all to the same end and it is a meaningful end Mm. yeah so i was going to talk quickly about mercury retrograde if that's okay yeah absolutely we're um almost we're at 44 minutes so let's push on um so mercury will station direct tomorrow in the late degrees of taurus now and in the dawn sky as well in the morning sky mercury does that as part of its retrograde cycle goes from evening star disappears under the beams of the sun to re-emerge as morning star ahead of the ahead of sunrise every few months so it's a very interesting um, phenomenon to witness and it's easy to see why it sort of held interest for ancient people who would have witnessed that Hey, wasn't that star over yeah. there before? Yeah. <laughs> and it works in the same way um, with Venus as well. Over a 19-month period, Mercury does it three times a year and Venus does it every, you know, year and a half or so. But um, And then all of the stars, wandering stars, that is the planets, do it in their own kinds of way. But Venus and Mercury are obviously between us and the sun, so they have that inner planet relationship so they have an inferior or interior conjunction with the sun and the earth more often than the, um, well, at all. I mean, the external planets, that is Mars and beyond, don't have that interior conjunction with the sun that mm. Venus and Mercury do. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so the conjunction of the sun and Gemini, which is the concurrent end of the last cycle and the beginning of the new cycle occurred in the first degree of Gemini and as well the recent Gemini new moon was also in the first deacon or 10 degrees of the of Gemini and I sort of while while Mercury was in the throne room I sort of like in that Kazemi conjunction I sort of got a bit of a sense of what the moral of the story kind of is in regard because in the first time of talking about this mercury retrograde i was talking about how it was correspondent to the astrological terrain you know the zodiacal terrain of the nodes shifting from the north node being in gemini going into taurus and it really has felt to me like like the closed mind that gemini can be um that seeks to explain away with logic and reason any sources of like cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. um, which I think has been a very common thing in the last couple of years that people just rather than face that real discomfort of cognitive dissonance that comes up when your whole worldview is challenged by, for example, the <laughs> suggestion that 
the vaccines are dangerous and not safe and effective, um, it was very common for people to just completely reject outright that suggestion mm. rather than face that possibility. So that kind of headspace can be like supported by the stubbornness that can happen with Taurus. So if we only had answers and certainty where questions and confusion were more appropriate, then that Sagittarian um, South Node fundamentalism can easily lead into the Scorpionic kind of possession by power. So I hope that sort of makes sense in terms of the axes that we're dealing with there, which is Gemini, Sagittarius, Taurus, Scorpio, um, and how this Mercury retrograde has sort of brought some clarity around that to my way of thinking at least so um and yeah just it it seems to me that in terms of as well the square to Saturn that's going on with the nodes too so the recent new and full moons that just took place um, that were square to Saturn and that square is ongoing and in a few days Saturn will station retrograde um, and maintain that square with the lunar nodes. And I've talked about that in relation to like the grand plan for humankind, that is Saturn in Aquarius, which has been sensed by many wisdom keepers always throughout history, Jung being one of them who had Saturn in Aquarius. And in relation to that Taurus north node, so bringing it into the reality of where we're at now, it feels to me like much of what we're called to embody now pertains to our willingness to claim selfhood which is a real Taurus north node kind of idea to realize self-sufficiency and you know it comes back to sort of where we started in a sense of like how do we continue to fight our fight Um, we can each continue to fight our fight in whatever way feels alive to us it's not over you know just because you know the election's over and the Davos is over for another year and blah 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 we still continue to live in this way that claims our own selfhood and I feel like that's really supported as well by Jupiter being in Aries now and the recent conjunction between Mars and Jupiter in Aries and Jordan Peterson I heard him recently refer to what he called the ethical adventure and how we are tested, you know, mm. periodically through life. We are tested in our ethics, in our, by our, like with our conscience and that sort of thing. So I really feel like that is important and could be, you know, good to keep in mind through this lunar cycle, through this Mercury cycle of the next few months. The In terms of the tarot, the first deacon of Gemini connects to the eight of swords and that's like an initiatory card and it talks about like where the mind can become stuck and frustrated and I you know I think it's easy for that to happen hey like it's easy for us to get not enough dopamine Mm -hmm. and to kind of get stuck in like just this sense of frustration and but that can actually be like serve as an initiation into coming to terms with darkness, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, the Jupiter in Aries thing really recognizes the sanctity of the individual and 
you know, our lives do have meaning. If only for us, that's not no mere trifle. Yeah. What else is there? Yeah, well, that's right. So, yeah, I guess that's about it. And I, I just wanted to shout out to um, Bob Dylan, who has a big stellium that covers Taurus and Gemini. He said, anything worth talking about is worth singing about, which is very cool. <laughs> I like that. I know, he's so great. He said lots of things. It's interesting because he is a Gemini son and he is a man with two names, Robert Zimmerman and Bob Dylan. Mm. And he said so many great things that really like speak to the Gemini archetype. I think I have a dualistic nature. Gemini <laughs> is the twins, you know. Did he say that? He did say that. He said, I'm inconsistent even to myself. Some people feel the rain. Others just get wet. I like that. He's, he's just a legend, hey. I'm absolutely, uh, yeah. Show us your big stellium. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people seldom do what they believe in. They do what is convenient, then repent. Oh, that is so true. I know. Myself included. Yeah, well, it's the human condition. And it's not about like being hard on ourselves. It's about coming to terms with our human condition in all of its flawedness. I um, discovered a book and I've been listening to the audio book. Um, I've actually, it's like four hours, so I've listened to it like three times through. It's um, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. I think you mentioned it last time, yeah. Did I mention it? I think so. Okay. Um, I'm going to, in a future episode, in the not too distant future, talk about self-esteem and, you know, on a, on a kind of global scale mm. as part of like the collective consciousness. It's very it, Taurus South Node, uh, <laughs> North Node. It's <laughs> it's super interesting the way that um, you know the crowd psychology tends yeah. to behave if you kind of accept that like everyone has low self esteem. Mm. But anyway, this is an old book, and it yeah, it's it's very foundational. So I guess mm. there's been a lot of thinking and critique of self esteem since this book was written. Sure. But he talks about being. Um, like observing oneself mm -hmm. and not criticizing oneself. Like if you behave in a way that makes you feel like you're not proud of that behavior or you wouldn't, you have regrets. It's like, don't give yourself a hard time. Mm. Like you're human, be a friend to yourself. What would a friend say? A friend mm. would say, tell me what made that seem like a good idea mm. at the time. Um, and how, how, what, what can we do so that we don't do that again? Mm. Which I think is, you know, that objectivity is just, to me, is becoming so, like, increasingly, like, useful to the point of, like, it's crucial mm. for, like, evolution and just trying to build momentum, I think. Yeah, and I think those, um, like, little faux pas that happen where we, like, inadvertently give way <laughs> or give voice to some part of ourselves that is not 100% conscious, for example like shadow material is so informative, you know, like it really can help to contribute to our wholeness in mm. the sense of, well, it doesn't make our conscious self and our ego and our persona feel very comfortable because it's not who we like to imagine that we are. It still came from somewhere and being more curious, which is a really good Gemini word, um, open-minded and sort of, 
um, there's that wonderful Rumi poem about meeting all our emotions, whatever they might be, at the door laughing, you know, like I think it's called the guest house. This life is a guest house. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just being willing to sort of, it doesn't mean that we have to act upon emotion, but just being open to what the emotion is trying to convey to us, which may be incredibly important. Um, And again, you know, it can come back to like navel gazing and how much time do you have to wallow in your negative emotions. But um, it doesn't actually take as long as you might think it does. Mm. And it can happen while we're doing other things too. Like for me, all of my learning has taken place at the kitchen sink in the last 10 years. And Mm. um, yeah, it's sort of these insights and downloads can happen quite suddenly and quite efficiently. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think like just getting back to not believing mainstream media headlines also is I find it so useful to like stopping emotional responses that are, you know, you see something awful in the news. Just think, just, just think about it again. Yeah. And, and you might find that you go, oh, I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah. And you can fucking move on. Like you don't have to carry it around for yeah. the day and as well you know if you want to find a positive to you know take away from carrying negative emotions around you know that is also possible too that is a way that I've handled it in the past in terms of just looking at what it actually brings up for me personally but yeah I mean as well whether you want to indulge in that at all when it's this like as we said possibly fictional at the very least, like abstract, not real experience of life for us on the ground of, you know, where we are right now. So The response might also be indicative of something else within you that you're kind of outsourcing. Yeah. A sadness or a you know, Absolutely. Desire for and that's what I mean about what, you know, allowing that to come up. Um, yes. Because I think that's know, also useful. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's those dark, complex... Um, shadowy aspects of the human condition that the only place that they can be resolved is in individual subjective experience. So when we're doing that, to me, it's engaging the work of our time. Mm. We are that um, marriage of heaven and hell, as um, William Blake called it, or, you know, the union of opposites, sacred marriage, all those kinds of things. Um, that came from ancient thought and continue to emerge in a real sense. The person who, to my mind, does the best work with it in our modern world is Ian McGilchrist, who wrote Master and His Emissary about the brain hemispheres. And more recently he's written um, a book called The Matter with Things, which is essentially, you know, talking about the same things, this union union of opposites, mm-hmm. dark and light. So, yeah, I've got a quote to finish if you're ready. Uh, yes, I was just going to say, um, our schedule going forward, you've got the, your talk coming up. I do, which yes. Which that's your priority. Yes. I've got a job now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's 
I mean, for the next two weeks, it's very consuming. Okay. Three weeks, actually. Okay. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not sure how our schedule with turning signals is going to go, but we're committed and I will be trying to get you even just for half an hour where we can, you know, to just check in. Sure. And, you know, keep our eyes open for the next Amber Turd saga, whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead. This is from Joseph Campbell, who had Pluto in Gemini. He said, Every act has both good and evil results. Every act in life yields pairs of opposites in its results. The best we can do is lean toward the light, toward the harmonious relationships that come from compassion with suffering, from understanding the other person. Hmm. That's useful. Yeah, he was brilliant. He wrote, among many other things, um, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, or, you know, which was reduced to the monomyth, where everyone has every culture throughout, you know, human history has had a hero myth. Yeah. yeah. Mm, which is interesting. And archetypally, you know, we are supposed to be the star of our own show, the history, the, the um, hero of our own journey. We're all our own hero. Whether you're a male or a female, I know it gets poo-pooed by feminists, the hero's journey, but you can call her a heroine if you want. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for finding time for us in your busy schedule. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to catching you again as soon as we can. Yeah, as soon as. All right. Till then. TTFN.